did you start your career in in business or in psychology? What what angle did you come in from first? I actually did kind of start into business and went into. I became a therapist just slightly after that. Um, so it, it actually was was kind of both at the same time. Um, I, I've owned several businesses. I've owned several restaurants. Um, and like I said, I've, I've, I've been a stockbroker and a couple other things that I've mentioned as, as we've gone through this. Um, but for the last 10 years, I've also been a hypnotherapist here in the state of Washington. So I come at it from both angles. I'm still also a hypnotherapist. I still do some individual work with clients. So I still also do that on odd occasions. Again, in that particular category, I specialize, which, again, is, is a technique that businesses can use, especially people in any kind of a service profession. There's a psychological principle that says people are much more likely to go to somebody who's considered an expert or an authority in their particular field. A good example of that is a chiropractor friend um, that I know. And, and he established himself as a niche as in, in sports medicine. And the way he did that is he literally had every single one of his, his offices set up along a different sports theme. So you could go into one of his rooms, and it was set up with water skiing thing, and it would have pictures of some of the world champion water skiers on the wall, and they were all signed pictures. He literally would have, you know, water skis leaning against the wall. You could go into another room, and it was set up um, for rodeo, so you would have pictures of some of the world champion rodeo riders that were signed. He also would have, you know, saddle in the room and, and you know, ropes and stuff like that. You would go into another room, and it was... Um, skiing, and you would have some of the world champion skiers' pictures in there. You would have articles that he'd written for some of the ski magazines. You'd have skis. So each room was set up. So, so it, there was another psychological principle, which, which was this kind of this wow factor. People would go in and they'd, they'd leave and they'd go, wow, you've got to see this guy's office. He's got all these things in there. The other thing is it really set him up as an expert because in each one of these offices you went in and saw the fact that you went into the rodeo room and you saw that the guy had been the national director for medicine for Wrangler Pro Rodeo. And you saw all the the world champion cowboys that he had worked on. Well, if if I fall down my stairs, geez, I want the chiropractor that, that's actually helping people that have been thrown off of bulls. If, you know, if he can help somebody that's been thrown off a of bull, I think, oh, you know, he can probably help me. You know, when I hurt my back, same thing. He was national director uh, for the National Water Ski Tour and had, you know, articles and, and stuff on that. So now every time I go into his office, I, I just literally go, wow, this guy is just an expert on all these kinds of sports injuries. So if I'm out mountain biking over the weekend and I, you know, twist my back, who am I going to call next week? The, the chiropractor that's closest to me, that's, that's right down the street, or am I going to call this guy that's really an expert on all kinds of sports injuries? And, he, and he's, by the choices he's made and how he uh, decorates his, his office, which is, uh, I guess, is, is unconscious marketing in itself, you have that idea in your mind, this guy's the best, this is the guy I want. Exactly. Plus, you know, there's, there was a whole bunch of psychological principles involved there. Number one is association. You, you associate with all these world champions. So he he got association from them. He po he posted the articles that he had written on the walls. So 
there's the psychological principle of this guy's an expert at what he does because, look, he's written articles. And in this particular country, we have this perception that if you write an article or you write a book, you are an expert. You know what you're talking about. Number three, you have the psychological principle of this wow factor going on. People wanted to talk about him when they left his office. We all have the psychological principle of, of, of self-importance. So if I go out and tell a friend about this guy and they have a good experience with him, now they think more highly of me. And who am I more likely to recommend? Who am I more likely to think they're going to have a good experience with? This guy who's treated all these world champions and has written all these articles and has been national director for the water ski tour. He, he was also, um, when the Winter Olympics were over in Norway, he was, he was the team doctor for the winter uh, team for Norway, you know, and, and showed that Norway had actually hired him and brought him over to the Winter Olympics to work with their athletes. So there's a lot of psychological principles there. And when he was setting up his office, all we had to do was sit down and go, okay, look, let's use this principle. Let's use this principle. Let's use this principle and tie them all together. Uh, and once you, you get them all together, now you have this huge synergy um, that literally creates a huge word of mouth for his particular practice. He literally doesn't have to advertise or do anything at all now. And he's in a very, very competitive market in Southern California where there's literally a chiropractor probably on every single corner. Many of us, and I have many people who uh, are in business and being entrepreneurs, started in the food services and the hospitality industries. Could you tell me any lessons, any valuable lessons you, you, you learned when you were in that field? A good example is, again, let's, let's take the principle that um, people like to belong or, or what I would call like social proof. A good example of that is, is a restaurant that was just down the street from here. It's, it's a little Mexican fast food restaurant. It's right next door to Taco Bell. In fact, it's actually behind Taco Bell, kind of hidden. And six months ago, there was a, you know, same thing, a little Mexican restaurant there. And, and the guy was advertising, um, promoting. He literally had people out on the street, you know, dressed in costumes, trying to drive business to his business behind Taco Bell. He ended up going out of business. He literally went bankrupt. A few months later, there's another Mexican restaurant in there. This particular Mexican restaurant is, is doing gangbuster business. I never drive past there, but they don't have, you know, cars in the parking lot. Now, the most fascinating thing I, I found about it was when they very first opened, you know, they put the sign up on the wall, and I drove past it, and I thought, mm, you know, another Mexican restaurant, they'll probably go out of business, they're a lot like Taco Bell. But as I drove past, I noticed, gee, there, it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and being in the restaurant business, I kind of know that's a slow time of the day. And I looked at Taco Bell's parking lot, and Taco Bell's parking lot had one, you know, or two cars in it. I looked at this particular Mexican restaurant, and it, the parking lot was, literally had like eight or ten cars in it. And I'm thinking, wow. My initial thought is they must be pretty good. Look at all those cars in the parking lot. So I literally stopped, went in, and ordered something. Now, the funny thing is, is once I got inside, there was nobody in there. I, I think the guy literally, you know, had all of his friends and family park cars in the parking lot. But there's a psychological principle that says that if there's tons of cars in the parking lot, it must be good. And the fact is the food was really good. 
it's really fast, and I've eaten there a dozen times since. Same principle applies, though. I was back in New Hampshire um, teaching a seminar back there to a group of people and didn't know where to eat in town and literally drove down the road. And again, I used that principle. I looked in the parking lots to see which parking lot was full of cars. When you're in a strange town, you don't know which restaurant to eat in. So I picked the restaurant that had tons of cars in the parking lot. There's a real important principle, which is called storytelling. Um, and this is a principle that I found that's really effective. For example, metaphors, stories, if you think about it, have been used throughout history um, to convey ideas. They're extremely powerful to convey ideas. As a hypnotherapist, we use metaphors and stories all the time to change how people are thinking at an unconscious level. A, a good example of that is probably one of the best-selling direct mail letters of all, all time was, was a letter that the Wall Street Journal put out, and it was basically a story of two college students that graduated. One became president of the company, the other one just became a mid-level manager. And then they made the case that the reason the one became president was because he read the Wall Street Journal. I think stories and telling stories and telling metaphors is a very powerful unconscious principle that isn't used very much in direct marketing. It could be used much more. I mentioned the ad that we did with, with weight loss at one point that got that 500% increased response. And basically, that was the difference we did with the ad, is we used a story. Literally, it was a testimonial. And in building that testimonial, we used a lot of these unconscious principles. So I started off in, in the ad and said, you know, this is my name, and it was actually a person, so they could literally look the person up in the phone book if they wanted to. And then we used the, the psychological principle of pain. We listed all of the pain that you get from being overweight. You know, you can't do this, you feel the pain of embarrassment, etc., etc. And we just built up, you know, the emotions with the pain. And then we built up the emotions of how it felt to be thin. And so people reading the story could literally step into it. Whenever people read a story, in order to interpret the story, they literally step into it and kind of apply it to themselves. So when you use testimonials, that's kind of one of the best ways to use them, is use them in such a way as how is your reader going to step into it and apply this to them? Same think? thing with any kind of advertising. Or the same thing when you're selling directly. Have a bunch of stories or metaphors about how your product particularly applies that makes it really easy to explain the concept. It's much, for example, as a stockbroker, it's much easier to explain concepts using stories or metaphors than it was to, you know, explain the principle in and of itself. If I was going to explain the principle of why you wanted to use some kind of an investment that doesn't have taxes taken out of it, I could sit there and, and quote the numbers all day long and show, look, if you're having to pay taxes on this, you're getting a 33% lower return, and over time this, you know, is that much lower return. But that doesn't appeal to people. It's It's much easier to to tell them a story that says, look, if you're, if you're trying to get from here to there and your car has a hole in the gas tank, how effectively are you going to get from here to there? People instantly relate to that. They realize, well, wait a minute, if I'm driving down the road and there's a hole in my gas tank and gas is leaking out the whole time, 
that's not very efficient. Do you think that they will say, look, you know, investing where you're taking taxes out of it every single year is just like driving down the road with a hole in your gas tank. You're losing gas. You're losing money every single year. People instantly relate to that on an emotional level. So using stories and metaphors like that in your advertising and your marketing, and even when you're directly selling to people, is a really, really important psychological principle. Do you think there's been a lack of metaphors and storytelling in advertising because uh, an underestimation of the audience or because there's just so much copywriting going on out there now? I, I don't know why it is. I'm not sure why it is. Um, I, I think we, we have a tendency to get too technical. We have a tendency to apply to the logic side when it's not really the logic side. The, the logic side is important, granted, but, but if you really look at some of the copywriting and, and some of the best marketing that's ever been done, you can really see the stories woven into it. Um, a good example of that, again, is, is one of the best ads that was, that was ever done by Rolls-Royce what was done that basically started off that said, at 60 miles an hour, the only sound that you're going to hear is the sound of the clock, was, was the headline. And it basically then told us a story of how you could be sitting in the car, you could be driving along, and, and people can step into that. They can feel it. They can relate to it. Whereas if I'm trying to sell it based on the fact of, oh, it's really good quality, um, people just don't step into that and relate to it as much. Not as effective as putting them in the scene. Exactly. A, a perfect, one of my favorite books of all time, for example, is, is a book by Gary Spence, the, the famous attorney. Um, and, it, and it's a book called How to Argue and Win Every Time. And here's a guy who's an attorney. And I've done consulting for attorneys in the past. And again, most attorneys, when they go in, they, they, they use facts and logic and, and all of that kind of stuff to try and impress um, the judge or the jurors or people like that. And I think in marketing and copywriting, we all have that tendency. We, we want to make sure you're convinced and we give you a lot of facts and logic. And Jerry Spence in this book, he literally spends the whole time in the book talking about how to appeal to the emotions how to tell a really good story, how to get somebody to, to step into it. He, he gives an example. He gives a whole bunch of examples in the book. But, but one of the examples he gives is, is somebody driving down the road, like a product injury case where, where the brakes fail on a car. And you can tell that story based on the fact that, yeah, the engineers did it wrong, and, you know, if the brakes were applied with this amount of pressure, it causes the brakes to, to lock up, and here this guy got injured, and because he's injured, here's how much his expenses are, and, and here's, you know, his lifetime expenses, etc. Now, that's all logical, and, and, and you can get people to kind of believe that, but it's much better to tell a story, to say, to start to tell a story about, here's this guy driving down the road on a peaceful summer day, sitting in his car, relaxing, enjoying the scenery, when all of a sudden his car's flipping wildly out of control. You feel the panic. You feel the emotion. The next thing he knows, he's in pain and he's lying there bleeding. His, his children, you know, now have a father that can't play soccer with them, that, that can't go to baseball games. When you actually tell a story, people now step into it and start to relate it to themselves. So, again, that's one of my favorite books because he takes the whole concept of, of how attorneys work and he applies it based on, 
you're much better off telling a story. Uh, a, a, another great example out of the book is, he, is he, he talks about a young attorney he was training. He, he says, you know, this guy was writing up a legal brief to send to a judge, and it was all dry and full of legalese. And he said, he, he literally ripped it up and said, rewrite it and, and, and tell a story about how, you know, the attorneys are dancing around a campfire. You know, you'll, you'll just get much better response, even from the judge, based on that, than you will from, here's all these facts and figures. There's a need for creativity and, and, and stories for everybody, isn't there? Well, we all think, and here's a concept that, again, most people don't realize, but we all think using our senses. We literally think using our senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. At an unconscious level and even a conscious level, that's how you think. And, and the way I, I stress that with, with clients or even um, customers is, Think about a baby, for example. If a baby were born and it didn't have sight and it didn't smell and it couldn't taste and it couldn't touch and it couldn't feel, how would it literally know anything? It wouldn't. And if it couldn't know anything, how could it think? And we forget that people think using their senses. So whether it's in marketing or whether it's in personal selling, you, you really have to use the senses to do that. Earlier I talked about, you know, people's buying strategies. And I talked about this real estate agent where it was neighborhood layout, quality, and ease of sale. Really, when we teach that, we get much more specific and we talk about how it's the senses that you're really talking about when you do that. So when the guy talked about neighborhood, we're really talking about how it looked. So again, I'm going to use language that says, See how this neighborhood looks, and we're going to describe it in visual terms. Then when we talked about quality, it was really about the feeling for him. So we're going to describe that in the qualities of feeling. People literally think using their senses, and that's why stories and metaphors are really important in marketing, and that's why, again, analogies are really important, or even people's personal buying strategies are really important. Again, sometimes when we're, when we're selling, we elicit people's values. We ask them what's important about it to them. So, for example, if, if I want to be the real estate agent, I'm going to ask them what's important about a real estate agent to you, and they're going to start to tell me what's important about that. They're going to start to tell me emotional responses. And once I've got those emotional responses, now I can come back and apply that. For example, in talking to that real estate agent, was, as I was eliciting his particular strategy, at one point, he made a comment that, that what was really important for him was the ability to make a quick decision. And when I asked him about that, what was important about making a quick decision, he literally told me something about himself psychologically, that it was important that people perceive him or that he perceived himself as somebody that could make quick decisions. So now, if I'm in a, in a sales situation, I'm going to literally use that emotional response of his. I'm going to say, geez, we've got this particular house, and I know how important it is for you to not be a waffler. It's imp I know how important it is for you to make a decision one way or the other on this right now. Never so if I use that, what's the likelihood that he's going to sit around for the next two weeks or even the next two days or even the next 24 hours and go, hmm, I want to think about it? He's literally not because I've, I've literally used his own emotions 
to trigger responses in him. So we literally think through our emotions. We think through sight. We think through sound. And, and pick up any copywriting and, and really look at it and see how well does it appeal to those. How well does it appeal to your senses? How well does it appeal to sight, sound, smell, taste, touch? How well does it appeal to the emotional levels? I think sometimes people get the concept in general, but, but the application is, is flawed. A, a good example of that is there's a psychological principle called reciprocation. And a lot of people are aware of this principle now. Good, good example is when I, when I was in the, the uh, financial services industry, wholesalers would constantly come around to the stockbrokers and give them things like golf balls, um, pens, umbrellas, I mean, literally everything. And I was talking to a wholesaler one day, and we were talking about this concept of reciprocation, where if you give somebody something, they're much more likely to repay it. And he said, well, that just doesn't work. We give people stuff all the time, and they never sell my particular mutual funds. And that's true, because in that particular people, people get to expect it, and you're not applying it in such a way that they feel an obligation. So we said to him, look, here's this particular book that you guys are promoting that had to do with a particular mutual fund. And in their particular case, it was the economist Harry Dent had written a book called um, The Roaring 2000s. And then he wrote a book called The 2000s Investor. And they had a mutual fund that was designed by Harry Dent based on these principles. And I said, don't give people golf balls. Give them a case of these particular books. So that when somebody walks into their office and has questions about, you know, how should I invest for the future, they can give their client a book. A book has a real high perceived value. And if, and if you're giving a book to a client, now the client's going to buy something from you. Which mutual fund are they going to buy? Are they then going to turn around and sell somebody else's mutual fund to this particular client? No, they're going to sell yours. Just by doing that technique, he upped his sales literally 100% the next month by giving out books instead of golf balls. A good example of that is last night, again, I went to several people's websites. And people realized, again, on websites, um, that giving out information, that, and I, I went to a specific marketer. If I mentioned the name, people would, would recognize it. And, and the opening page was, here we're going to give you all of this information and provide it for you. And I'm sure the purpose of that is, we're going to give you the information and then you'll buy it from us. The, the problem is, when it comes to the Internet, uh, I already perceive the Internet to be an information source. So if I go to his particular website and I get information, do I feel a perceived need to reciprocate? No, because that's what the Internet's all about anyway. If he didn't give that, I'd be ticked off. I think hard-to-market seminars does a much better job of that, for example, in the sense that they send out, you're sending out this CD. Now, that's not something I expected. That's a wow factor. I'm getting a CD. I can literally put it in, you know, and play it. I'm not going to throw it away. I'm not going to lose it like a piece of paper because it has such high perceived value. And it's not something I expected. So now I'm invoking that principle of reciprocation. Whereas just providing information on my website, I'm not invoking that same principle, even though I think that I am. But by sending out a CD, I am invoking that principle because people look at it and they go, wow, 
it's a CD. You know, every time I normally buy a CD, it costs me, you know, 40, 50 bucks. This guy had to spend, you know, money to mail it to me. Whereas I'm getting information just off of a website, it doesn't have the high perceived value. Um, so I don't have the need uh, at an unconscious level to reciprocate. Does that make sense? That makes sense. That's uh, in investing time in uh, understanding your audience and understanding your uh, your uh, market. It's it's important consciously and it's important unconsciously. Well, and really understanding how to apply the psychological principle itself is everything. You you can have a psychological principle like reciprocation and apply it totally wrong, like the wholesalers do or like people do sometimes on websites. And, and just by tweaking it a little bit, just by saying, look, here's a different way to apply it, you get a whole different response. So the real key is, is knowing not only the psychological principle, but how to apply it. Because just that difference in applying it, you're, you're going to get phenomenally different results. Thank you very much today. As this is fascinating, I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing and seeing more uh, of your work, your products and services. I think I am coming to the end of the questions that I had here, Ken. Uh, I think uh, I guess I should also ask how uh, can our listeners get in touch with you and perhaps find out about. Uh, about uh, any seminars that you're holding that they might be able to uh, take advantage of? Well, at this moment in time, they can certainly call me at 360-521-0981. Here is another tip for you, and it has to do with swipe files. And I'm going to hand you a lifetime membership of a swipe file you cannot beat. And if you go over to my website, hard findads.com you'll find a free resource waiting for you with over 800 hard to find ads now these aren't pretty fluffy ads that you're going to find in Madison Avenue at all the advertising agencies these are hardcore copy intensive direct response ads ads including Gary Halbert's a huge collection of Brian Keith Boyle's entire best collection of ads that you can download ads by Eugene Schwartz ads by Ben Suarez, ads by John Carlton that you can view up close, you can read the text, and you can use to develop and create your own direct mail promotions. So get on over to hardtofindads.com. That's H-A-R-D-T-O-F-I-N-D-A-D-S.com. You'll be glad you did.